Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender foot, a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds... We are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for The transgressors. Surely he took upon our pain and bore our suffering, was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And while we are like sheep who have gone astray, each one of us turning our own separate way, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity. Of us all. What do you bring to worship today? We speak of grace, a five letter word that separates us from all other world religions. We read the letter to Galatian, the Galatian letter, the Apostle Paul writing, encouraging, and pleading the church to be the church to love people, to exercise grace and compassion. And for those of us who have been in the church a couple days or a couple weeks or for decades, we know how devastating church can be. We know what it's like to face people that love Christ and who lift Him on high And yet we sometimes get bruised by those very individuals 
who are saved by the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. I share with a group on uh, Wednesday evening, a week ago, and last Sunday evening, I have personally been hurt more by the church than I've ever been hurt by the world. And so many of you are in that same situation. We are very good at deciding in the life of the body of Christ who's out and who's in. And for two and a half years, as I've had the privilege of speaking in this pulpit, I've always encouraged, and every week I have tried to point to the sufficiency of God's grace. There's never a Sunday I want you to leave not understanding His grace is sufficient despite what we do, how we live, how we behave. We simply need to lean into Him, trust in Him, and commit our lives to Him, making Him the central priority of our service, of our heartbeat. Many of us have done that, and we've seen amazing things that have happened. Others of us have stood on the peripheral and we thought to ourselves, well, I want to see if this is real. You can't know that it's real until you surrender it all. Because when you and I surrender it all, we come to the understanding of Isaiah 53, which I began with this morning, and understand that He bore our transgressions upon Him. That is, He took our sins upon himself when he went to the cross it was for your individual sins that he died as a matter of fact i would go as far as to say that if you were the only human being in history christ would have died for you because that's how much he loves us it's incomprehensible to the human mind because we're used to loving people and loving things that appreciate us. Why would anybody give their life for someone that they don't know? And what you and I need to understand is he knows us well. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. As we in the body of Christ, as we seek to pursue his will, we're very good, as I've said, about deciding who's out and who's in. And many places across this country, many places even in our community, there is what I will call toxic faith, toxic practices in the local church. If God's grace is sufficient, then it's sufficient. The beauty of grace is that God separates sin as far as the east is from the west. He does not hold our sins against us. So I'm going to ask you, church, why do we sometimes hold sins against people? Now I realize I'm dabbling. I realize I'm poking. I realize that I'm ripping apart an onion. But really, His grace is sufficient or it's not. Either we have been radically transformed or we haven't. Who are we to judge the hearts and mind of people? I'm not talking about being fruit examiners. I'm talking about judging people. If God has saved me from my sin, then there is no sin that I'm going to commit that is not under the shadow potential of grace. Grace covers it all. The only way we have access to the Father is through His Son, Jesus Christ, who has bore our sin for us. In other words, 
Christ has become the sinner in the sacrifice. He alone gives us the opportunity to exceed our own expectations and to live a fulfilling life. There's no sin that you and I are going to commit. And His grace is not sufficient. Now some of you want a list. Let me go there. You've committed adultery. His grace is sufficient. You've divorced. His grace is sufficient. You've been an addict, a drug addict. His grace is sufficient. You've been a porn addict. His grace is sufficient. You're indebted on your credit cards because you've enjoyed buying things rather than serving the Lord or you've allowed your expenses to exceed your income. His grace is sufficient. You're an abuser. His grace is sufficient. You struggle with racism. His grace is sufficient. And you're sitting there this morning thinking, I hope he mentions mine. Whatever it is, whatever darkness, whatever the enemy's telling you, whatever he's saying to you, see, because I, I'm a sinner, and the devil frequently will say things to me like, <laughs> you were involved in this, you said this, you behaved in this way. Who are you? Let me tell you who we are. We are children of the Most High God. His grace is sufficient. His grace saved me. His grace called me. And no, I haven't been divorced. I don't beat my wife. She beat me up. I don't abuse my children. At least I try not to. But I'm a sinner just like you. Why, why should I hold your sin higher than mine? Why should you hold my sin higher than yours? Because Jesus held it all and took it all on the cross unto himself. His grace is sufficient. We don't get to spread his grace like jam or peanut butter on toast. It's not up to us. You know, when I make a peanut butter sandwich or a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I like peanut butter. I don't really like the jelly. I just want like mm, just very, 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 very light spreading of jelly. I want like two inches of peanut butter. So much that I, I can't really talk when I get it in my mouth. That's the way I like it. But grace is not something we get to choose to spread like we like. Because God is the author and finisher of our faith. It's God who's gone to the cross on our behalf. And I don't care. Listen, I grew up in church. I was in church before I was out of the womb. I'll be 40 in November. I've attended church for almost 40 and a half years. I came out of the womb singing to God be the glory. I was so glad to get out of there. I wore three-piece suits from the point that they could be made. 
I was tortured. I was oppressed. I had a drug problem. I was drugged to church every Sunday against my will. But at some point in my life, I began to understand that no amount of Sunday school, not being able to spell the books of the Bible or putting them in order or repeating all the books of the Bible in one breath, which was a challenge given to the church, could save me. No amount of tie-wearing, no amount of perfect attendance. By the way, 13 years of perfect attendance in Sunday school. Oh, I'm dead serious. I've got the pins to prove it. Listen, we go on vacation to Myrtle Beach. We're going to church. What? We got to go to Sunday school. Why? Because the Lord commands it. Where? But no amount of that can save you. I was nice to people. I mean, I didn't cuss them out vocally. I might have done it in my mind. But I was a good kid. I was a good person. I was a good young adult. I've never been plastered in my life. I've never been drunk in my life. And by the world's standards, when they look at me, they say, wow, that's great. I can even stand on this pulpit and say that that woman up there is the only woman I've ever slept with. She is. She's my soulmate. And as great as that is, and as good as I am, good people go to hell. Because it's not based on how good I am. It's based on how good he's been to us by taking the iniquity your sin, my sin, your evil thoughts, my evil thoughts, my evil... And, and listen, all this thing, and, and you know what is amazing? I realized over the course of time that I'm pretty normal, whatever that means. Um, I had the opportunity to go with some guys this week to Catalyst and, uh, in Atlanta. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, Garrett Britton was my driver, um, and uh, he's also my bodyguard for the week. It was great. And uh, I realized that he drives like I drive, Okay. I'm in the left lane. Let's go. Somebody's slow in the left lane. He thinks the same thoughts that I think. He now, I'm, the, I'm the pastor sitting in the pastor's seat. So he's a little bit more reserved than what I would have been if you know, I was there. But the reality is this. We come from different walks of life. We come from different backgrounds. But the same God who in Christ has revealed himself and made himself known is the same God that reaches down in the midst of who we are and radically saves us. His grace is sufficient. So for those of you here that have been bruised by the church, the representation of the body of Christ, whether today, last year, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, in my case, 20 years ago would be, would be the, the truth. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And never before have we needed to pray for the church more. Because you and I have got to place Christ at the center of our ministry an opportunity. If you look in Galatians, it, I mean, it's amazing. You know, it's amazing how often Scripture is so simple and yet so profound. And it's also amazing how we don't measure up to the simplicity of what God has called us to do. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. You should restore that person gently. 
In other words, the church should have a ministry of restoration. Notice it doesn't say, as many of us have practiced or been victims of, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should condemn them gently. Should stand against them gently. Should cast them out gently. To expel them gently. To excommunicate them gently. It says restore gently. Now I know why we don't practice that a lot. Because that's hard. That's messy. Uh, it's uncommon. It's not what the world does. Someone messes up in the world, your workplace. I'm sure if I ask Dean, Dean uh, works in Kingsport for Eastman. Somebody messes up, it's bad enough, bam, gone, out, out the door. Maybe with the severance, maybe not. The church doesn't operate like the world. The world has not been saved or redeemed like the church has. The church is the one extension, the body of Christ, His representation in the world. Therefore, the world is transformed through the body of Christ, the church, as we extend, call, and challenge people to pursue Him. Now, it's a fine line. Because there's those in the world and out in our community that have no desire to accept Christ. They have no desire to pattern their life after Jesus. And to those people, we're still gracious to them. But this is not, listen, Christ died for the ungodly. He focused on the ungodly. He went to the ungodly. He went to the oppressed. He went to the downtrodden. He went outside the parameters, the four walls that had come to be known as the temple. And he sought people out where they were. And by the time of the Apostle Paul writing some 15, 20 years, perhaps 30 years later, we got to the point where he writes, if someone's caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit, restore that person gently. And then he gives us a caution. Watch yourselves, that else you may be tempted. And then he says in verse 2, carry each other's burdens. Now if you look at the front of your bulletin, you'll see a pretty little cartoon. Pray for people, carry their burdones. That's French. I don't really know what it is, it sounds good. Now, you look at the little girl on the left, and she's got a frowny face. She's also got crutches, and she's saying, ow. And then you look at the girl on the right, and she's saying, I will pray. If children can comprehend this scripture, then surely we as adults can practice it. We need to have a ministry of restoration. That is restoring that which is broken. Work to make someone or something better than what we find them. Not condemnation. Not expulsion. Restoring. And it has been my privilege over the years in a variety of churches to attempt to do just that. And I wish I could tell you that every time we tried to restore somebody that it worked, it doesn't always work. Some people don't want to be restored. Some people are happy with the way they're living. 
but we need to give every single person as many opportunities as possible. Because listen, ladies and gentlemen, God did not, has not, and will not give up on us. He continually loves us despite our failures. He continually calls us despite the evil that is so often entangles us. And he is calling us, he's calling us to be his. To be married to him and alone to him. To cultivate intimacy with him. To be the church that he's ransoming for his purpose. We need to have a ministry of restoration. And he says in verse 2, carry each other's burdens. Be present for people. Empathize, not sympathize. Empathize with people's needs, with their condition. We're not here to give sympathy, oh, you poor little thing. We're here to empathize, to understand their situation, to put their shoes on, to attempt to walk in the life that they've lived, to understand their perspective. Point in case. Someone who's been abused by their father is not going to have a great affection for understanding who God the Father is. We need to empathize with them. What would that be like? And sometimes things are so foreign from our experience. But just because they're foreign from our experience doesn't mean that they can't potentially be redeemed and restored. Nor does it mean that we, listen, we're not the center of the universe. Our experience is not the center of the universe. Occasionally, occasionally when I go to the coffee company, I go there occasionally, you know. Um, I'll talk to Lisa or John and... Uh, the thing about it is, Lisa grew up like my wife did, and Lisa has to remind John, and my wife has to remind me, gosh, John and I were so fortunate, so fortunate to grow up in a Christian home. And I can't tell you how many times Tabby's had to say to me, not everybody's like that. Not everybody grew up with a gold spoon in their mouth. Who are you talking to? Are you talking to me? Your experience doesn't define truth. Our experience doesn't dictate how God responds. Our experience is not the end all. His experience is. He's gone to the cross for you. He's gone to bat for you. He's intercepted sin on our behalf. And with him, you were Texas A&M last night. You were victorious. He intercepts every time. He takes on our problems. He takes on our sins. And we as the body of Christ need to have a ministry of restoration. And we need to come to the realization that we carry each other's burdens. Now, I had to be home Friday by 2 o'clock. My wife left me specific instructions. Be home no later than 2 o'clock. I do what she says. So we left early, 8 o'clock, I think that's early, left at 8 o'clock, I'm going to be home by noon, 1230. I've got the season passes for the football game to give to Mary Tipton and to Jordan, all the, I even, gosh, Tommy was so generous, gave me eight plates of beans to pick up on Friday night for that fundraiser. Didn't get a chance to get them though. And we get to exit 126 in Georgia, 
actually right before 126. And I hear this, boom, 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 boom. And I'm thinking we're dragging something. So we pull off the side of the road. Uh, Garrett's driving, my chauffeur. And um, so we pull off the side of the road, look under, I don't see anything. We get back on the road, go about a quarter of a mile. Shoo! All the instruments go down. And you know, I'm an auto mechanic. You know, that's my second. You know. So me as the expert, I Google. Well, it appears there's probably a battery problem. Alternator. I don't even know how to pronounce or to, to spell alternator. I just know kind of when it doesn't work, it doesn't work. So, um, so anyway, long story short, we're delayed. I don't get back. He doesn't get back. Now, he needed to be back for the parade. That was canceled. See, God's an awesome God. Um, but he's stressed out about that. I would have been stressed too. Easy for me not to be stressed because it's not my truck. Okay. But we bear each other's burdens. So I, you know, we see text. Tommy drives out the 20 miles to pick us up. Uh, now, Chris, uh, Chris was more of a Pharisee. He stayed back and worshiped while all the other work was being done. <laughs> but Tommy was Jesus, okay? Uh, Chris was a Levi, okay? Do what? I did, I did. But listen, listen, listen. All things are possible, okay? His grace is sufficient. He elevates the lowly. Um, so Tommy comes, and uh, we don't know what to do, so we go to the mall. Yes. Spend some time at the mall, shopping, eating, whatnot, while they determine what's wrong with the car. But, but, but Garrett, you know, he's, he's concerned about the truck. How much is this going to cost, whatnot. And what I see there is, and I said, you know, I, I called Tommy and said, I texted her. I texted her because if I called her, that'd been a dialogue. I just text her, we're not going to make it. Make, make arrangement. <laughs> I love technology. Uh, and so uh, it kind of lets me have a conversation without having a conversation. It's great. Uh, and so she calls me. I'm like, okay, uh, yeah, yeah, uh -huh, yeah. You tell Garrett not to worry. I've got this. Yes, awesome. And the reality is this, ladies and gentlemen, it's exactly what Scripture calls us to do. Bear each others burdens when one of us gets hurt or one of us gets disillusioned or one of us suffers in any way shape or form having other people to come to your aid it's vital and it shouldn't be amazing for the church it should be the standard we carry each other's burdens, empathizing with people's needs, putting ourselves in other people's shoes, having a ministry of restoration. And then the Apostle Paul just continues to plug ahead. And then he says in verse 10, when we have the opportunity, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people especially those who belong to the family of believers. Let us do good to all people. Does that mean I need to do good to people that don't like me? Yeah. And the interesting thing is, is, is this. I have no doubt, and we talked about this, I have no doubt that if we had broken on, uh, down on Highway 19 out here, or 321, or even on 26 in this area, somebody would stop. No one stopped outside of Atlanta. And I'm not judging the city, but I'm going to tell you this. When we're too busy, and here in the church, let's apply this. When we're too busy doing God's work that we don't take on the needs of others, 
we are missing the whole point of the gospel and salvation through Christ, Christ alone through his amazing grace. We've got to back up. We've got to think about where we're headed, where we're going. And I told Garrett when this happened, I said, you know what? Now, there'd been a day in time, if this had been me, I, I, I would have oh, just been torn all to pieces. I've got to get back. But I said to him, and I say this a lot when things alter my schedule, when I don't want them to be altered. I even told my wife this the other night. I said, you know, I look at it this way. There could have been a major accident 50 miles down the road that God in his infinite wisdom went and caused the alternator not to work and we're stranded for six hours. I don't know. But this is what I do know. That you and I in the body of Christ, as we deal with our own personal lives and the problems that each of us faces as men of God, as women of God, as children of God, we in the body of Christ, as we navigate waters and doctrine and practice in the life of the church and in leadership. We don't get to make up our rules. God's already done it. His grace is sufficient. And He's calling us, He's beckoning us to come to Him. No matter how good you are, how put together you are. No matter how good you think you are. We are in the desperate need of Jesus Christ. Our world is in the desperate need of Jesus Christ. Our community is in desperate need of Jesus Christ. People are broken all around us. Some of us are broken in this very room. And in this very room, Christ is wanting, desiring and inviting us to let him in. This church, not just this church, but this, this church that we have assembled in this place is sold out for Jesus. We're not perfect, but we're growing and we're seeking him. And it is messy. There are long-standing practices of our church and of churches all around us that when we evaluate and we ask questions, what are we really communicating? Do we communicate that grace is sufficient? Do we communicate that Christ is the standard? Do we communicate that when we're redeemed, we're redeemed? Or do we still hold people accountable for their past? We have to wrestle with our practice. We have to wrestle with our doctrine. We can never deviate from the reality. Christ is the only way. We cannot water down scripture and say, well, it contains truth. No, the word of God is for the people of God. It is truth, period. Period. And my commitment is I'll never preach anything other than that. And I will never allow anybody in this pulpit that will tell you any different. It's the truth. And if we believe it's the truth and we know it's the truth, then you and I have got to begin practicing it more and more and aligning our lives with the essential teachings that are there. And the essential overwhelming teaching of the gospel and of the Bible 
in the Old Testament is God's steadfast love. In the New Testament, it is grace. Grace, compassion, love, empathy. So whether, whatever we struggle with, whatever we suffer, whatever sin has been the one that has defined our life or defined this season or defined our walk or defined our Christianity or defined our faith or defined or excluded us from service, we need to understand His grace is sufficient. we say that, and we believe that, then we have no choice but to practice it. God loves people. God loves you. He loves you and me despite where we've been, what we've said, what we've done. He doesn't love us for showing up. He doesn't love us because what we bring. He doesn't love us because we've said the right things or we parted our hair or we made sure everything was in the right place or we wore the right clothes. He doesn't love us any less because, gosh, someone got a tattoo one day or someone's got a piercing or someone's got a tattoo or a piercing that we cannot see. He doesn't care about any of that. And I'd go a step farther and say, gosh, if you've got a piercing, then you're more holy than I am. God cares about this. Cares about this. You can't tattoo the heart. But your heart can be pierced with the love of Christ. And people from all walks of life, from all kinds of stories, converge into the church. And the beauty of it is that we, when we come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, when we surrender our lives to Him, our testimony is not about where we've been. Our testimony is all about what He has done. And as we converge together into the body of Christ, all that really matters is love, as we looked back last week, love, Galatians chapter 5, love expressing itself through faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what First Baptist Church needs to be known by, not about what we stand against, not about the people that we stand against, about Jesus Christ. He's whom we stand for. He is the center of what we do. We believe in grace. We practice grace. It's free. It costs Christ his life. And grace, we don't, we, listen, we don't latch on to grace so that we can abuse it. We latch on to grace because we so desperately need it. And we understand and we've come to the realization that everybody else needs it too. His grace is sufficient for you, for me, and for the entire world. And what he did on the cross in closing is simply this. His arms were open wide, full of grace, full of compassion. And he wants to receive you and me and the world and draw us into himself. He wants to point people to the Father. He wants to draw people to the Father. He doesn't want you to be defined about coulda, woulda, shoulda. He wants you to be defined by what he's done. He loves you despite you. He loves me despite me. And His grace is sufficient. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you. We thank you so much for sending your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you as we wrestle with grace. What what are the implications of grace in our story? What are the implications of grace in the body of Christ? 
we're forgiven, then we are forgiven indeed. If we've been set free, then we've been set free and unloosed for your purpose. Lord, forgive us as a church and as the church when we fall short of your grace, of your plan. And Lord, I ask today that as we come into this time of invitation, that you would restore those that are broken, those that are hurting. Fathers, we confess our sins. You are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness because you have bore the iniquity. You have taken our evil. You have taken our sin upon yourself and you've put yourself in our place. And no matter what our sin is, no matter how we look at ourselves and define ourselves, Lord, may we be defined by you. Not by what we've done, but by what you've done. Everything else should pale in comparison to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ and making him known. Father, we receive your forgiveness today. We receive your call today. Lord, restore our relationships. Restore our hope. Encourage us in your way, your truth, and your life as experienced through the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. And Father, as we come in this invitation, for those who have never trusted in Christ as personal Lord and Savior, they've never put Christ at the center of who they are. Lord, you give opportunity. And I just simply ask, if you're here this morning, you've never known Christ, you've never prayed to receive Christ, but you're curious, won't you come? If you're here this morning and you believe that First Baptist is a place where God is calling you, and He's called many. He wants you to plug in here. We pray that you'll plug in to our ministries and opportunities. But more important than plugging into First Baptist Church, it's plugging into Jesus Christ. Making Him a priority for you and your family, for your job, your workplace, your school. Father, wherever we are, however you're dealing with us, May we just trust in Christ, leaning into Him, taking on one another's burdens, practice a ministry of restoration, and doing good to all people, especially those in the body of Christ, believers. Father, this is the invitation. May we seek You, may we be fulfilled in You, and may you find us faithful according to your steadfast love and your amazing grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Won't you stand? If you're this morning during this invitation, if you need to make a decision, I'm here. If you want to come to the altar and pray, the altar's open. Don't miss this opportunity. And some of you need to understand very clearly, His grace is sufficient. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's sufficient. Won't you come? Won't you respond as we sing and we worship Him?